Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upburnfrisco.com. Uh, it's so fun to get together. It's, uh, God always has something, uh, for lack of a better expression, something up his sleeve, uh, something that we didn't expect or he wants to manifest in some way. And it's, it's wonderful to come together and uh, just make room for what God wants to do. Um, and that means that today I have like 15 minutes to share, which is cool. Um, <laughs> Um, We're in a season called Lent, even though he won't relent until he has it all. Never mind. I tried for it. I heard it when it came out. (laughs) Uh, Lent is a a 40-day season where we commemorate uh, the 40-day fast of Jesus, but we also, uh, it's much more than that. It's the season leading up to uh, Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday, if you will, and and it's um, you know it's a time that's it's more than just self reflection. It's more than just rededication. It's it's a time to look right at the person of Jesus and fall in love all over again. It's it's not some self created uh, penitence or us striving to be. Uh, more like him, it is us leaning back into the finished work of Jesus and being re-intoxicated with the glory of the gospel more than we ever have before. Does that sound like something you want to be signed up for? Me too. Um, You know, we, we look at Jesus and we fall in love with him. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. I think it's funny that for uh, you know, a couple hundred years we've been singing, Be Thou My Vision, but then we try to come up with fancy vision statements that don't include him. <laughs> he's, he's everything. Like Christ and him crucified will be the recalibration that the world is waiting for the church to get. If we have a, a high enough Christology, like Ryan mentioned earlier, our understanding of the person and nature and the works of Christ, if we have a high enough Christology, then that will be the thing that transforms everything in our lives and transforms the world around us. We will accidentally go out and bear the fruits of perfect love. Um, often in these like traditional seasons of the the ecumenical yearly calendar. Um, I, I'll look up some of the verses that the world is, is reading from today. There's this thing called the common lectionary, and it's what the Orthodox Church, it's what the Catholic Church, it's just millions upon millions upon millions of people are reading some of these key verses today. And um, I often uh, look at them and then uh, decide whether or not like, I, I'm feeling it from the Lord, but I want to let you know that as I was reading these traditional verses that the world is reading today, I was just getting wrecked by the gospel all over again. And so can you put up that first that slide that I sent you, Judd? These are the, these are the verses, and if you want to join me in just the, the meditative enjoyment of, uh, of this first week of Lent, just take a screenshot of these verses and, and meditate on them this week. Like I said, I'm not going to have as much time as uh, I thought I might this morning to unpack everything, but I have so much trust and faith in the Holy Spirit that he'll unpack it better than I ever could. 
as you're uh, gazing on him this week. So Lord, we welcome you to reveal your nature to us from scripture, and we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to manifest, to continue to be uh, center stage with all of our attention and our affection. We welcome you, Lord. Several years ago, um, I guess it was just like two years ago, um, our house receives so many Amazon boxes, it's ridiculous. We have five kids, and and so we try to order just about anything we can so that we don't have to leave the house because um, <laughs> it's a logistical, crazy situation. Um, <clears throat> and so our kids love the, the boxes, especially the big ones, because they can create forts out of them and whatnot. And, um, and they, uh, they've gotten pretty complicated, some of these forts, because sometimes, like especially during Christmas time, you know, the grandparents are sending big gifts, and so they have box after box to build, like, a, a world in. And, and they started cutting windows in the cardboard boxes with steak knives. <laughs> and, and so I heard them all laughing, uh, you know, building you know, these boxes in the other room. And, but then I heard... And I was like, that's an interesting sound. It doesn't sound like tape. <laughs> so I go in, and one, one kid is like holding the box while another kid is sawing through the box, and another kid is inside the box <laughs> for some reason with a steak knife <laughs> going through because their house needs windows. And I just decided in that moment that it would be a good moment to, to lay down a rule of no using steak knives without parental supervision. If you need a window cut in your box home, dad will help you with it. You know, it's just, and it's not because I wanted to limit their fun. I just didn't want them to experience pain. I didn't want them to, to get injured, of course. And so a few days go by and I'm tucking Judah in for bed. And uh, we usually read one of his silly books, and, and I tell him what I think about him, and then he wants to wrestle. But this time he didn't want to wrestle, and, and I think I, 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 I like grabbed his hand or something, and he, went, he, he, pulled, he recoiled in pain, and then he put his hand behind his back. <laughs> and I was like, buddy, what's, what's going on there? And, and he's like, oh, it's, it's nothing, it's nothing. At this point, he's like nine or ten years old, <clears throat> and uh, I was like, "No, let, let me see what's going on." And so he sheepishly pulls out his hand, and there's you know kid-style wrapped bandaging <laughs> around one of his fingers. There's still I can see blood coming <laughs> through the bandages, and I was like, "Hey, t take that, unwrap that thing. Let me look at it." And so he's like showing me, and and. Um, and it was a pretty good gash. It was the kind of cut that I would um, probably have taken him to get a stitch or two for, but now it was too late. So, but I knew it would heal okay. But I said, um, uh, buddy, that must have been so scary. And he just starts weeping. Yeah, it was. <laughs> And he, he was like, you told us not to use the knife, and so I wanted to hide the, the cut from you. <laughs> and, I, and I said to him, hey, 
I don't care about the rule whatsoever. I just, I just want you to not experience that kind of pain. And even in that moment, as a dad, I was wishing that I could take the pain from him. Even if it meant putting it on myself, I would have gladly carried that cut myself so that he didn't have to experience that pain. Um, it's one of, the, one of the saddest things that a parent ever goes through is watching their children experience pain for the first time, right? Like when they, when they like shut their hand in a door or cut themselves or like something or just some sort of like cringe-worthy pain that, that they just weren't even meant to ever process. I remember one of our kids, when uh, they would get hurt in any kind of way, they would try to rub the pain off as if it was attached to them as if they could get rid of it. Like a little kid, you know, one, two, three years old, not understanding what is going on with their body in this moment. And they're trying to just wipe the pain off. And, and, and also, if I were to be completely honest with you, which I'm going to be, um, 99, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I was wondering if there was something about the way that I was fathering him that he felt the need to hide his mistake from me. And I don't know if, um, if any of you fathers have ever experienced when you, um, when you discipline your children, but it, you kind of get into the, that punishment realm. You kind of get into that. Uh, you, you're trying to control them with a fear of punishment. When, when I begin to manifest that kind of fathering, I usually end up uh, feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit and repenting to my kids because I don't believe that they should have to fear punishment in order to live right. You know, that, that first verse right there, I, I, we're not going to, today I was planning on reading through all of these, but let me just tell you what it's all about. Genesis 2, 15 through 17 is God putting um, man and woman in the garden and saying, you can eat of all the trees except for this one, this knowledge of good and evil, because in the day that you eat of this tree, you will, you will die. And then you skip to uh, chapter three, and it opens up with the serpent was way more cunning than any other creature. And of course, that serpent asks Eve, uh, you know, did God really say? And, and Eve says, yes, he said, you can't eat it, you can't even touch it. And the, the serpent says, no, you're not going to die. Because God knows that in the day that you eat of that tree, you'll be like him. Now, I want to ask you a question. Did God put that rule in place because he just loves being a cosmic rule keeper, referee? Like, or was he trying to protect his kids from a pain that he never wanted them to feel? And so Eve gets deceived. And what she, the bait that she takes is actually something that she was already given from God. She was already made in his image. But what was presented to her is you will be like God if you eat from this tree. And so what's happening, I believe, behind the scenes is that Eve and Adam are slowly being duped into believing that their father doesn't have their best interests at heart. That he's trying to keep something from them. And so... Of course, you, we know the, the beginning of this story. They, they do fall into this deception. And I think that we've all heard a version of this story. He, of course, after they, they eat of the tree, they realize they're, they're naked. Shame enters. 
like their reality. For the first time, they're experiencing something they weren't meant to experience. Just like a child experiencing pain for the first time, they're experiencing something they were never designed to ever process. They're experiencing shame. And then fear. They hear God walking in the cool of the day, and they hide behind some bushes because they're afraid. And we've all heard a version of this story where, you know, it's Adam and Eve have just defiantly uh, rebelled against God, and so God punishes them by kicking them out of the garden, and then he, he curses the ground, curses childbirth, and curses the relational dynamics between man and wife. But what I'd like to propose to you is something's just slightly different, but I believe it makes all the difference in the world with the rest of our lives, with God. The most merciful thing that God could do was protect his children from eating of the tree of life, because if they did, they would live forever in this broken, painful state of fear and shame. And every consequence of disobedience and every curse mentioned, he knew from the get-go that he himself as Christ would carry every single one of those curses. So if you're thinking about the moment that, uh, this, this sad moment where God is pronouncing the ramifications, the consequences, the curses of sin, not only on them, but on all of creation, in that moment, God is naming off all the things that he himself will personally carry in order to redeem us back into trusting our Father. 2 Corinthians 5 goes into this incredibly awesome and famous passage, and it says, uh, 5.18, Now all things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation or the ministry of reconciliation. So this is the amazing moment when God would come and carry all the consequences of the, the, the curse of sin and law, carry it himself and show us exactly what the Father is like, forgiving us in the moment that we are pouring out all of our wrath on him, redeeming us back into trusting our good, good Father. And he was not counting our sins against us. And this brings me to that point I was mentioning earlier. One of the, the, the next verse is Psalm 32. Psalm 32, too, says, Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord does not count against him. That's a wonderful version also. <laughs> so it wasn't that God was trying to uh, tally up all the things we did wrong and bring home the hammer in order to control our behavior for the rest of eternity. He was trying to show us how to be compelled by, by love. Um, this is a psalm of David. It's actually called a masculine or Maskil, I don't know how to pronounce it, but uh, there are only 13 psalms out of the 150 that are considered Maskils. M-A-S-K-I-L, just in case anyone is hearing math skills. Um, <laughs> there's 13 out of the 150, and a Maskil is uh, it's a psalm that's meant to impart wisdom and like the, the music is there to facilitate a message that recalibrates and, and, and translates wisdom. 
And so this is an important one. And I encourage you guys to go and read the whole thing um, because it's all about the mercy of God. I want to go to the next one. This is one that I actually do want to read through. This is Romans 5, verses 12 through 19. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all mankind, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not counted against anyone when there's no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the violation committed by Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the gracious gift is not like the offense. For if by the offense of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one offense, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the gracious gift arose from many offenses, resulting in justification. For if by the offense of the one, death reigned through the one, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Hang with me. This is, this is, he's hammering something home here. So then, as through one offense, the result was condemnation to all mankind, so also through one act of righteousness, the result was justification of life to all mankind. For as though, for as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. Isn't this great news? The tree Adam ate from is not more powerful than the tree the last Adam died on. I believe that the trajectory of human history and the purpose of scripture throughout is to bring us back into right friendship with God. You can't be friends with someone that you don't trust. That's why that John 10.10 verse is so powerful. It's it's like a, a, um, a plumb line or a level that we can always go back to, a cornerstone verse that we can interpret many other verses through where it's clear that he's saying there's one guy who's the bad guy and this is what it looks like. Stealing death and destruction, but I have come to give you life. I've come to give you hope and a future to bless and not to curse. Like to, he's, he's always working behind the scenes, scheming with all of creation to figure out how to bless us even more as his children. This is the dad that we get to live with. The last um, verse is, is Matthew 4. It's the story of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And I want to um, go through this just really, really quick. This is where we're going to end. Um, Jesus gets led out into the wilderness, and any Israelite in that day would know that the wilderness represents the realm of the devil or 
Satan. If you go into the wilderness, you're going to die. It's a barren wasteland. Back in those days, it's tribal. You need one another. You need water source. You need the strength of a community to survive. So if one wanders off into the wilderness, they're wandering off to die, which is why in the Day of Atonement, mentioned in Leviticus 16, a goat is covered in the sins of the nation and is sent off to wander into the realm of the devil, never to be returned because... Jesus, the archetype himself, would take all of our sins upon him and take them into a realm of death, leave them there into a place where we would never be able to be touched by them again, okay? I'm giving you guys a lot right now. Just hang with me, okay? So Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is both a reenactment and a foreshadowing of the great news of the gospel in this moment. And Satan tempts him three different times. And the first one, uh, it's, it's about his... his it's his hunger. If you know, Satan says, "Just say these stones become bread, and they'll become bread." And Jesus, uh, he, so it's Satan in that moment is using scripture, and Jesus uses scripture back at him. And he um, and he quotes Deuteronomy six sixteen perfectly. Um, sorry, it's the. Sorry, it's Deuteronomy 8.3. He quotes it perfectly. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And then the next temptation, the devil takes him up to a high place and on top of the temple and say, cast yourself down and uh, the angels will catch you before you hurt yourself. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy uh, 6.16, uh, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And then the, the, the biggest temptation of all, Satan offers him all the kingdoms of the world. He takes him to a high place, and, and they can see all the kingdoms of the world. What is it that Jesus wanted? All the kingdoms of the world. This is Psalm 2. Uh, the father and son are speaking to, to one another in Psalm 2, and the father says to the son, ask and I will give the nations to you. And this is what this is the desire of Jesus' heart, all of mankind. He wants every, to ransom people from every tribe and tongue. He wants the nations back under his wings, so to speak. And so this temptation is the biggest and the worst one for Jesus to face because Satan actually has domain. He has dominion over the world and technically could have handed him the authority in that moment but it would have been subjugated underneath this evil ruler, of course, right? I know I'm throwing a lot at you. So this is a shortcut that Satan is offering to Jesus for dominion. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 4.10. Away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6.13. The first two times he's tempted, he quotes Deuteronomy, and he quotes it perfectly. The third time, he quotes Deuteronomy, but he doesn't quote it perfectly. He changes it. He says something different. Do you know what he says? In the original, in Deuteronomy, it says, you shall fear the Lord, your God, and him only shall you serve. And Jesus comes along and says, you shall worship the Lord your God. And him only shall you serve. What if Jesus in this moment used the hardest temptation moment at the end of his fast to not only defeat Satan, but in that moment also expose his greatest deception? 
See, when Satan picks a, a fight with Jesus, he not only loses, he loses his weapons. And the greatest weapon that Satan had was fear. We don't have to fear dad anymore. He's not punishing. He's not retributive. He's not waiting up there watching to make sure that we do everything perfectly and then to bring in the swift hammer of justice upon us. He is wanting friendship. We're able to approach him with confidence. The very thing that Jesus came to show us is that we can confidently run to the Father. We have a dad who jumps off the porch and runs towards the one who takes a step back towards him. We have a, a, a dad who doesn't stop searching for the one that, lo- that left the 99 and doesn't stop turning over the house until he finds that one lost coin. This is our Father in heaven. Uh, can we stand and pray together? Thank you, Jesus, for extended worship times and shortened sermons. <laughs> we thank you for food. We don't have to speak to stones here in a minute, but we can just go swipe our debit card and have lunch with our friends. We thank you, Jesus, for the blessings of our taste buds that we are made to taste and see that you are good. We're made to taste and experience your goodness in this world. Father, I pray right now that you would remove the scourge of unhealthy fear of God. Father, that you'd bring us into right relationship as children, as friends. We're not servants. We're not robots. We're not just uh, here to be used by you. We are here to commune with you, Holy Spirit. We thank you for communion. It is a representation how you are in us, we are in you, and you are in the Father. I pray that during this season of Lent leading up to Easter that we would be wrecked by the glorious good news of the gospel all over again in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.